could engage. We could stand up and say, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. We could stand up and say, let me show you a better way. Let me come alongside you in the difficulty and the mess of your life. And not go like this, but go like this. Let me, let me help you see a better way. Let me help you see a better way. That takes my work. Ooh. That takes a lot of work. That means you can't just sort of be this plasticky performance person on the outside and be something different on the inside. It means you've got to actually buy into this Jesus thing and do it and live it. See, when you withdraw, you can just stay with the shell. You see that? And people just see the shell without having to be changed on the inside. But if you want to actually engage people who are lost in this world, you've got to be authentic. And if you're under the age of 40, let me, let me just ask you under 40s, what do you think of someone who's not authentic? What do you think, under 40s? How does that make you feel? If someone is acting like they got it together, acting like they're a big Christian, but inside they're a mess. Do you want to see that? Not even a little bit. You don't need another performer in your life, do you? Under 40s. Your whole life is filled with performers on TikTok and YouTube and everything else. All you witness every day, all you are swimming in all the time is people performing. I don't want to be a performer. I want to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. That's how this changes. It doesn't change with getting angry. It doesn't change by withdrawing into ourself. It changes by actually engaging with this world in such a way that they encounter Christ through our lives. That's how this changes. I'm a millennial who left the church. I suppose we should talk about it today, huh? God, I ask that you would be here in a powerful way this morning. I pray that you would speak through me and that it wouldn't be me here today, but God, that it would be you. The, the message that you've laid on my heart, God, I pray that it would, it would come through in such a way that we would hear from you and not from Mike. We would hear from you, Lord. Speak to us today in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's been almost 20 years since I left the church. Obviously, I came back, but it's been almost 20 years since I left the church, and my generation has been doing this whole exodus thing, this mass exodus thing, exiting the church upon adulthood in record numbers. We've seen the statistic, Jason had, uh, Pastor Jason highlighted the statistics in that message, and I got stuck in that moment, in that moment that I just played for you. I got stuck there, and I'm like, hmm. I'm praying that that record, of, that the record of young people leaving the church lasts for the rest of the time, because I want to put a stop to this exodus that's been occurring with our young people. Now, I left the church as a, as a teen for a number of reasons, and a lot of it had to do with what I saw in the church as a teenager. Can I share some of those things with you today? 
My goal in telling you these things is not to offend you or to make you feel like you're doing things badly. My goal is to encourage you. My goal is to shine a light on the things that I encountered so that they're not happening here. And what it might actually take to bring some of these lost sheep back. But before we dig in, let me just say, for first of all, clarification purposes... I attended another church growing up. I didn't attend this church growing up. So when if you're feeling convicted or anything like that, it is not me pointing you out. I did not have anyone in this group in my mind as I was writing through this and processing through this. Um, I didn't have anyone in this room in my mind. So just hear that first of all. If you feel any sort of conviction, that, that'd be from the Lord. That's not from me throwing rocks at you or anything. But the biggest thing that I encountered as a team that led to my departure, aside from a sin nature inside of me, was Christians. Christians within the church. Pastor Jason was right on the money four weeks ago when, when, he, when he shared that. And as I reflected upon, I, I mentioned I got stuck in that moment. I was sitting over here and I was just, as I was processing through that moment, I, I thought to myself, I encountered three different types of Christians that, that, that contributed to me leaving the church. Now again, I don't want you to hear it was only on these people, because I still made the choice. I still made the choice to withdraw myself and, and take off. There was definitely part of me that wanted to be God myself, right? That's that sin nature that wanted to be. But, but the, the three different types of Christians that I encountered on the way sure made it difficult for me to, to overturn that sin nature. And the first thing I encountered was angry Christians. I heard people grumbling growing up. I heard people grumbling a lot, uh, a, fair, a fair bit, I should say. Um, you see, my grandmother was a worship leader, and my mother was and still is a worship leader. And my aunt is a worship leader, too. Uh, you were starting worship about this time, uh, and, and, and any time I heard people grumble about music choices and whatnot, I, 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 was, I was seeing these faithful women of God putting in all kinds of time. I mean... Carolyn, I should have talked to you before I brought this up, but as I recall, you learned how to play piano so you could bring a gift to the Lord in this place. So when, when I heard people grumble about the types of music as a teenager, I got angry. I got angry about that. And, and it wasn't just about worship. It wasn't just about music. Anytime I heard, uh, you know, oh, a pastor would bring a pointed message that was, you know, it, it cut to people's hearts and people would grumble. Well, he should, he should preach more fluff. They didn't say it like that. But they, <laughs> there was grumbling about the types of uh, messages that people didn't agree with. There was grumbling about different things from decorations. So I heard all kinds of grumbling within the church. I even saw people lose their temper within within church within the church walls during meetings and stuff. Actually lose their temper and get up and start shouting. And I thought, this is supposed to be the people of God? I encountered a lot of angry, bitter Christians, and it made me lose my interest in church. Second type of Christian I encountered was a withdrawn type of Christian. These people that were didn't want to look at what was really happening in the world around us. Didn't want to address the fact that there were young people that were starting to take off. That, that, that Gen X had been starting to leave, and millennials, man, we were right, right, on, the, right on the heels of that trend. We were, we were on our way out the door. And, and people just living in denial that this exodus was occurring. This refusal to look at, at the world and how things were shifting made me think that, man, these, these, these people just cared about their personal salvation, and they didn't actually care about this exodus, about these people that were leaving, leaving the church. 
It made me think that the church didn't really care, and it made me lose a little bit of interest in the church. A third type of Christian I encountered was the straight-up hypocritical Christian. There's the people that show up on, on Sunday and uh, do, do, the, do the Sunday dance, if I can put it that way. And then, and then they go out and completely deny Jesus by how they live for the rest of the week. Uh, I saw that putting on your Sunday's best, it's funny because I'm going to pause here for a second. I debated wearing uh, a jeans and hoodie this morning. And I was going to wear my grubbiest hoodie because I don't want to put on a show. I don't want anybody, to, here's, the, here's the real life would normally wear, you know, six days out of seven, I'm wearing jeans and a hoodie. That's, what I, that's, that's who I am. But I didn't want to be a distraction to anybody today either. So I thought I'd better actually put on a shirt that has buttons on it, even though this is not really Mike. Mike is not normally dressed like this, right? Um, I, I, I saw people growing up that would show up and they would, they would put on the show, they would put on the dress nice, and then the thought would run through, like I've had, like, even in my own family, uh, I shouldn't even say that, sorry, mom. But <laughs> my mother's here today. I'm like, even in my own family. Oops, that was not on the paper. Um, but there were there were times where it's like, come on, boys, put yourselves together. We got to go into church. We can't let the people of the church know that our lives are a mess. I didn't get that from you a whole lot, but I got that from my dad once in a while. Sometimes, you know, like, well, I'm, we want we want to look like we're. We got it together, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. We don't want to show up and, and to be um, in rough shape. We want to we want to honor the Lord with how we present ourselves in this time of worship. But Jason was right four weeks ago when he said, "Hey, under 40s, what do you guys think about someone that's not real? Are you interested in somebody who's not actually being authentic with you?" And my answer then is pretty much the same as it is now. I'm not interested in what you're selling. I want, I want authenticity. I want the real thing. I don't need another performer in my life. So I had uh, two significant things occur in my high school formative years that they were significant to me, but they were really insignificant to people on the outside. I'm going to share a couple of stories quick before we, before we open our Bibles. So. Um, between the ages of 13 and 16, I had two things happen. That um, well, I have more than two things happened, but two things I want to highlight this morning that had a, a big impact on me. Uh, number one, I I was at like 13 years old, junior high age. I overheard one of the older boys that I knew was a Christian, knew was a, a, a leader, um, that we used foul language just one time. <laughs> Going off to do an event wherever with the school, and I, I heard this guy that I looked up to just use a couple bad words. I thought he was incapable of using those words. I didn't think that he was he was capable of, of, of using any sort of profanity. I knew that he led prayer meetings during football games and stuff. I knew that that was the sort of thing that he did. He stood for Jesus. I don't think he knew I was in earshot, but I was. You upperclassmen, you guys, other upperclassmen, the younger students are looking up to you. They, they see you, they hear you. Even if you think they're out of earshot, they see you and they hear you, and it really matters. The, the things that you might think are no big deal have a significant impact on these younger ones. You see, as I was trying to walk through my life and trying to, um, because I was trying to live for the Lord at that point, I, was, I, I had just been baptized. I was trying to live for Jesus. And just to know that that guy folded on, on his convictions made it so much easier for me to fold on mine. When push came to shove, I stumbled. 
A second, maybe seemingly harmless interaction that I had uh, was around the time I was a 10th grader. <laughs> Mom, I'm going to bring you up again. My mother brought my brother and I bowling. We went to a bowling alley, and um, she was winning. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't like to lose. I'm a competitive guy, so I was, I was already kind of grumpy about it, and I was, trying to, I was trying to get back in the game. One of my youth leaders happened to be there, and he thought, I'm going to go up to Mike and give him a hard time here. So he came up and he's like, oh, looks like your mom's winning, huh? Which, not, not a big deal, right? I, sh I shouldn't have been as cranky about it as I was. But there was one big thing that happened in that interaction. He was holding an alcoholic beverage. Here's a guy that tells me uh, when we're at church settings, Guys, don't get drunk, right? That's a sin. Don't do that. Stay away from alcohol. And, and, and this guy comes up to me with a beverage in his hand, and he was clearly, fairly inebriated, and decided he was going to give me a little bit of a hard time. He's going to razz me a little bit. Now, how do you think me, as a, as a 15, 16-year-old kid, took that? I thought, man, the church is just full of hypocrites. Matthew... Where did my screen go? Matthew 18.6 If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Mike, it happened. I told you it was going to happen, Mike. Mike's going to happen. I'm used to running with my phone, and then, of course, it doesn't work this Sunday because it's a Sunday. It works on Wednesdays. That's what it is. Pray, pray for me, you guys. Just pray for me. <laughs> All right, so if anyone causes any of these little ones, those who believe me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Now, my youth leader, he might not have actually been drunk. I don't know for sure. It seemed to me in my... 10 second interaction with him like he was maybe feeling a little tipsy, right? It's irrelevant on whether or not he was. My, my, that upperclassman that, that I heard using foul language, that might have been an inadvertent slip. He might have repented two seconds later, but that's irrelevant because those were moments that made me stumble. They contributed to me stumbling. Those moments, along with a few others throughout my high school upbringing, made me lose interest, or contributed to me losing interest in what the church had. Fun fact, this is interestingly enough here, I never actually lost interest in Jesus. Just the church. Just the church. Um, did everyone in, those, in, the, in, the, in the church that I was attending, did everyone fit into those three categories of Christians? No, of course not. There were faithful people who poured their lives into me. They did There were wonderful people who really did a lot of work for the Lord and did a, a lot of good things, but it wasn't enough for me to keep interest. My frequent interactions with inauthentic people, my frequent interactions with the angry and, and the hypocritical, man, that gave me a taste that I couldn't get out of my mouth. Right? And it contributed to me losing interest. My exit from the church wasn't special. It remains a common theme yet today. My, my interactions, and you could talk to any one of my peers that have not come back yet, and they would say, yeah, it sounds like my story. That sounds like what I went through. 
Now, obviously, my life has changed since then. Uh, my current job description actually says I'm supposed to fix this problem, right? <laughs> That's literally, it literally says I'm responsible to, and I quote, successfully transition students into mature adult faith. This isn't a cop-out, but that's not something any one pastor is capable of doing on their own. This is an us problem, you guys. This is an us problem. It is on us collectively to successfully transition students into mature faith. And hey, look, I'm leading, I'm gonna lead the charge. I'm gonna be right there on the front lines. I'm going after it, but it's gonna take all of us to address this. Look, my youth pastor did a fantastic job of trying to bring me into a mature adult faith. It was undermined by people in the church that weren't on the same mission. This issue has been near and dear to me for a very long time, and it's it's something that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about changing this to where we, we're making lifelong followers of Jesus. I want to see people not graduate from their faith anymore, but my brothers and sisters, I need your help. I need your help to make it happen. So this morning, can we just take a look in the mirror for a little bit? Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So as, as we dig into to everything that I feel like God has laid on my heart today, I want to ask you to just start off with Psalm 139 with me. Would you guys just, would you, I'm going to read Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Would you just make this your prayer as we dig in this morning? It says, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. God, as we, as we open your word this morning, I do ask that you would help us to understand. And not just understand what it meant to the people who it was originally written to. But understand what it means for us today in this setting. Lord, please speak to us clearly through your word. We want to engage and encounter with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you'd open your Bibles, please, to 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John quite a bit this morning. Um, I think there's something to be said about actually having your paper Bible open in front of you. And youth, we actually have tables set up in here now. Um, we used to not do that, and we just started this year. I think it's been good for kids to actually have their paper Bibles with them in front of them, right? So... In fact, some of you guys will just, I got two students specifically that really like to go crazy with their highlighter. Anything we read, they're just, they're just going after their highlighter. So, um, 1 John chapter 1, starting verse 5, says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet... Walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You guys, if there are dark spots in our lives, if there's things that we're struggling with, we can't hide them. We can't hide them from each other, because in so doing, we let shame actually win the day. Hiding sin in the shadows, it, it compounds the problem. It makes it worse. By keeping sin in the shadows, by keeping it hidden, our sin isn't actually ever dealt with, right? It just lives on and maybe grows. 
By keeping sin in the shadows, those who we try to reach don't see a real version of us, right? They see whatever face we're putting on for Sunday morning. They don't see what we're really going through. And usually they can see through that facade pretty quickly. They find us to be inauthentic. We're just another performer in their lives. Now sometimes we're afraid in this setting that if we confess our sins to one another, and I know this passage is talking about you confess your sins to God too, right? But I think there's something to be said about we need to confess our sins to one another as well. I think we're afraid that if, if we do confess, though, that those dark spots, we're going to be shamed. We're going to be looked at like, oh, you deal with that? Oh. We're worried we're going to be judged by those who have it all figured out. But that, that whole people have it all figured out, that's a lie from Satan. Because the truth is, I mean, we have all sinned. That's why we all need a Savior. If you keep reading, verse 8 says, uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In the light is where shame goes to die. In the light is where guilt goes to die. In the light is where help is found. You see, a church that walks in the light is a church that has real authentic fellowship. Fellowship you can, you can have fellowship with the world, but that's not real fellowship. Real fellowship was instituted by God. It was found in the beginning, before the beginning. Real fellowship existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that is the family that we have been, as Christians, invited into. That is where we have real fellowship. Fellowship where people are safe to be vulnerable. Because the blood that has purified me has purified you too. If we were perfect in the first place, we wouldn't have had a need for a Savior in the first place. But we're not, so why do we try to hide the stuff we struggle with? Now, I don't believe that millennials and Gen Z actually have a problem with Jesus. They're, I mean, some of them maybe get loaded with stuff in college settings and wherever. There are times in life where they have the opposite of truth spoken into them and they, they get really, really lost. But man, I don't think... On, on its face value, I don't think millennials and Gen Z have an issue with Jesus. Their issue is with, with inauthentic people in the church. They haven't seen how the message of the gospel has actually made a difference in the lives of people within the church. I believe they're just looking for authentic fellowship, but they're just not finding it here. If we're going to have any difference in making lifelong followers of Jesus Christ, we need to engage them from a place of authentic fellowship. I'm going to highlight three things this morning that, that churches that have authentic fellowship do. And I'm not suggesting that we are void of authentic fellowship here. When I say authentic fellowship, though, I'm referring to uh, 1 John 1.7. If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I'm not suggesting that these three things are not happening in this body of believers. However, since God laid this message on me, I'm convinced that perhaps not all of us do all of these three things all the time. So if you guys would please stay open and listen as we, as we go through this, um, perhaps we can find some areas where we can strengthen one another, okay? Number one, authentic fellowship churches know Jesus. Know is a weird word, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is a weird word. I'm talking K-N-O-W. That is kind of a weird word because people misuse it all the time. You know what I'm talking about? 
So, you ever heard someone say, I know that person, that, and, the, and the person that you're talking about, they, they've never actually met them. For example, hey, that's Chris Pratt. I know Chris Pratt. Do I really know Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt, that's Chris Pratt. You know, he's, he's Star-Lord in all those Marvel movies, and, and he, he plays the lovable goofball Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec. And, and uh, what else? Oh, he's in the Jurassic World movies? Yeah, I know him. If you went up to Chris Pratt and asked, hey, you know Mike Ponce? He'd say, Mike who? I don't know Chris Pratt. All I'm saying when I say I know Chris Pratt is that I have collected information through my years about him. I know the kinds of work that he does, the movies that he's in and stuff, because his work is very public. So a lot of us know Chris Pratt in that regards. He's, he's a public figure. But I don't actually have a personal relationship with him, right? He does not know me. We don't spend time together. I think that uh, if you would turn over to 1 John chapter 2 here, uh, we're going to just keep hanging on 1 John. I think that there are some people who know things about Jesus. Maybe they even claim Jesus as Savior, but he's never yet become their Lord. If they knew him, their posture towards him would change. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, John isn't suggesting that if you've ever disobeyed Jesus, you're doomed. But what he is saying is that followers of Jesus live lives that are characterized by obedience to him. When you obey King Jesus, man, you are exhibiting your love for God, right? So in everything we do, obviously, we need to keep pursuing, keep becoming more and more like Jesus, who himself was obedient to the Father. He was obedient to the Father to death, even to death on a cross, right? That's the example that Jesus set for us. We need to be obedient to him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And how did Jesus live? How do we know? We've got a pretty good written record of it, don't we? We've got to be in our Bibles, you guys. We need to be reading our Bibles. It is so important to read your Bible every every day. I've been so encouraged by the, you know, randomly showing up here in the evening for whatever, and there's like four groups meeting to have their Bible study. I love that. That is so good. Keep after that, you guys. I just want to encourage you. I know some of the groups have had struggles trying to trying to get things scheduled for those banding groups. Man, it is so worth it when you when you when you guys are able to follow through and stick with it. So I encourage you to try to make that happen. But even if you're not in a, in a banding group, I mean, the, the point is we need to be doing life together and, and, and to be in our words together. So I think that there are three things that knowing Jesus actually looks like. Number one, when we do read our Bibles, we find out that Jesus lived a whole human life without sinning. One way that he lived was without sinning. So in order to look more like Jesus, we need to stop sinning. I mean, Jesus actually said... Go and sin no more, right? And John even said that in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 6. He said, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Jesus didn't only come to remove the penalty of sin. He came to remove the power of sin in our lives. He came to remove that, 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 the shackling that sin has on us, right? 
He came to break sin's hold on our lives. So when we do bump into sin, when we bump into something, the idea is, oh, hey, I maybe shouldn't do that. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever bumped into something and you, you stopped and realized, you're peering over the edge and you're like, what I'm about to do is sin. Oh, well, and just went for it anyway? Man, that is active rebellion against God. And Jesus has given us the ability to not do that anymore. Because of the power of Jesus, when we bump into sin, he's given us the ability to say, oh, right, uh, no to that, I'm going towards, I should be doing this the other way, so I'm going towards the cross. Yes, towards Jesus, right? I'm going to, when I bump into sin in my life, I'm going to say no, and I'm turning towards Jesus. And a great way also for that to happen and to build guardrails into your life is if we confess what we're struggling with to one another, right? Back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He's faithful and just, you guys. Bring sin into the light. Confess it to God, but confess it to one another as well. Let those who have wrestled with the same stuff in their past help you. There's help available in here. We have so many resources just in this room. <laughs> it's in the light that shame and guilt come to die, right? So knowing Jesus looks like removing sin in our lives. Knowing Jesus, of course, also looks like loving people. If we keep going, 1 John chapter 4, this is how God showed love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We understand what love is by looking at God. When we look at God, when we study the life of Jesus, who was, you know, God in the flesh, right? When we do that, we realize that we need to love people, and we start to understand what that actually looks like, right? We need to put the needs of others ahead of our own needs and wants and desires, right? We need to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. Knowing Jesus looks like losing the sin and loving people. The third thing that knowing Jesus looks like is, is actually having him invade our lives. Having the Holy Spirit fill us. Uh, if we keep going, verse 13 says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. It's the Holy Spirit living in us that's transforming us, right? And it's transforming us into a new creation, into new life. Paul says that if you're living that life by the Spirit, there's going to be evidence. There's going to be evidence of this transformation that's occurring. Paul calls this, he calls this evidence fruit of the Spirit. Of course, there's evidence for the opposite, too. There's evidence that you lack the Spirit. It's called acts of the flesh. That's what he refers to it as. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, it's where he highlights all this. Galatians 5 says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and hatred, uh, which, I'm sorry, witchcraft, and hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you might not be participating in debauchery, I pray not anyway, or any of the other things on that list, but... but if we slow down and look at that list more carefully, how about hatred? 
How about discord or jealousy? Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Factions. Paul says that these things point to an absence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The absence of the Holy Spirit living within us. And I don't know about you, but I'm capable of being a very selfish person. When I read through that list slowly and carefully, I think, man, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I have not made it through this. I, I have not made it to the well-done, faithful servant point in my life, right? I'm still working it out. I'm still working it out. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit living in me that keeps me from being a selfish person 24-7. That list is evidence that we don't have the Holy Spirit. But when the Spirit invades our lives, all of a sudden this transformation happens and, and suddenly we're not being the selfish divisive people that we once were, we start to look more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit that starts to show up, we see this evidence that happen. We start to look like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things there is, is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the flesh, uh, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, church, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Authentic fellowship churches know Jesus. That looks like removing sin and loving people and being filled with the Holy Spirit. What are some other things that authentic fellowship churches do? Number two, authentic fellowship churches remove stumbling blocks. As we follow Jesus, you guys, not all of us are in the same place. Not all of us have, have been on the same journey, right? Some of us are more mature than others. Some of us have been at this for a lot longer and have been working out our, our faith with fear and trembling for a lot longer. So going back to my story about my youth leader, one of my youth leaders at the bowling alley, let's just assume for a second that he was, he was only having one drink that night. Um, he was not actually getting, he, there was no drunkenness happening. There was, there was no other laws that were going to be broken. He was of legal age. He was, had every right to be in that establishment. There was, there was realistically no reason why he shouldn't have done what he did, correct? Except for one thing. He had every right to be there and doing what he did, except there was an impressionable, immature believer. And my faith was still rocked, even if he wasn't inebriated, right? Even if he was sober, my faith was still rocked by how he presented himself. Paul discusses a similar case in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about um, eating, eating, eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. And it's, it's kind of a confusing uh, passage because we don't have a whole lot of idol worship and idol temples happening around here. But long story short, uh, Paul is basically talking to the group that there's, there's some folks that realize that idols are nothing. Right? Idols don't actually, they're, they're idol worship, that's people bowing down to, to stone and, and, and wood and, and people, the things that people have made, right? The idol worship that's happening is nothing. So if a believer were to walk into Corinth, and it's pretty safe to assume that any meat in the city had been sacrificed to an idol, right? If you're going to eat meat, it's been sacrificed to an idol. Are you going to let that hang you up? You know, is it going to be a hang up for you? Um, some Christians that were in the city realized that, you know, I could walk through that temple and grab a steak and look around and go, wow, look at these people. They are bowing down to wood and stone. What is up with that? As they're, as they're not on a steak. 
You know what I'm saying? So there are some people that had justified in their own minds, and, and probably, I mean, they, they maybe weren't sinning by just having a stake. They, they weren't actually bowing down to the idol. They grabbed a stake on their way by, and they're like, wow, these people are crazy. We should tell them about Jesus. Let's get on with that. But here's the thing. If you're going to grab a stake that someone just sacrificed to their false god, and, and, and grab that stake and gnaw on it, and then you go to tell them about don't have any other gods before Yahweh, how do you think they're going to take that? Because they see you're consuming that meat as, as worship of that idol. Paul goes on in, in verse 9. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights do not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother and sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Authentic fellowship looks like carefully considering what may cause an immature believer to fall, what may cause them to stumble and remove whatever that thing is so they don't stumble, so they have an opportunity to come to maturity. We obviously don't want to derail the growth in others, right? We need to be mindful of the things that might compromise our witness to them. We, might, we need to think about the things that might compromise the growth of new believers, and this leads to my third point, but I'm going to meander my way there, so just bear with me, okay? So, we've got this thing going in our country right now, right? This, it's a relativist thing that says all dogs go to heaven. Whatever works for you, works for you, and whatever works for me, works for me, but all dogs get to heaven, right? We're all going to get there. Whatever, whatever you want to believe is just fine, but you do your thing, I'll do my thing. You know, truth doesn't really exist. Whatever, whatever's true for you, that's fine. That can be true for you, but it's, that's not what's true for me. That is a load of garbage, and it is a roadblock for us to truly loving others, and that's dangerous. Let's say for a second that I own a dragster. This is what you call a dragster, right? Car people? I'm not just call it. Stick with me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a car guy. If anybody wants to invite me to VIR, it would be a learning trip for me. I've never been out to VIR or anything. I'm not what you call a car guy. Not that I don't like cars, just not having that in my past as something I've spent time on. So, let's just pretend that I own this dragster, right? Pretty sweet looking ride. I bet you it goes really fast. The internet said they go like 330 miles an hour, I think, something like that. So, um... Let's just say I got my heart set on taking this bad boy over to Alexandria for a shopping trip. <laughs> now, there's not much trunk space, so my order's got to be a pretty small one, like pocket size. I'm going to go pick up a pocket size item in Alexandria. But I want to take this, because I think it'd be fun to go around all those curves by the lakes on the way between here and Parker's. It's going to be a good, fun ride, right? And uh, as I understand it, these things don't come equipped with snow tires, do they? Pretty sure there is that a racing slick. Racing slicks come equipped on these. So let's just say that my 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 dragster has racing slicks on it. Don't handle super great on snow and, and, and ice. I don't believe. And uh, 
the day before my shopping trip comes and it's freezing rain. Now, I still have my heart set on going. Does it matter if I think it's not dangerous to drive this to Alexandria? Because the truth is, if I take this thing to Alexandria on roads of ice, I'm probably going to get myself hurt or killed, right? Does it matter if, my, if I think in my own head that it's not dangerous? No. Now, if, if you love me, what should you say? Hey, Mike, it's icy out there. Don't take that ride. You're going to get yourself killed. What are you thinking, right? But are you bold enough to tell me that my, hand, my plan is perhaps a bad one? Do you value my life more than the possibility that you might rustle some feathers? Because if you say something, I might be offended, right? That's true for you, but that's not true for me. Are you bold enough to warn me that my plan is a bad one? Is it worth offending me to speak life-saving truth? I think so. I hope so. Jump into another story real quick here. Let's say you're living life in a desert. You're literally dying of thirst. You're literally dying for a drink. And somehow, right in the middle of the desert, a spring of water just shows up right in front of you. Here's the thing. You didn't do anything to produce it. You didn't work for it. Just bam, water right in front of you. Where did this come from, you know? And, and, and it, it, it's not just a little trickle. We're talking like gushing water, more water than you know what to do with. And, and, and it's the most pure water ever. I don't know how this is possible, but boom, water. Amazing. Now, some are standing there debating on whether or not to take a drink, but you took a drink, and you know that this is the most pure water ever. It's so good that you might not ever thirst again. The next person you see wandering in the desert, dying of thirst, what are you going to say to them? Tell them where the water is, right? I think you're not going to keep that to yourself. You've got to tell them where the water is. So then why are we so prone to keep the good news of Jesus to ourselves? When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? Let me, let me add this little thing on the end of the question here. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus outside of this building? I tell you that 
In the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Look, the shepherd goes out to look for the lost sheep. He doesn't wait for it to just wander back into the, into the, into the herd and then say, you know, this is a better place for you. No, he goes out to find it. He pursues the lost sheep. The sheep doesn't necessarily know it's even lost. How's it going to wander back? And the church in America has this epidemic of young people leaving the church. But guys, there are sheep. There are sheep that are wandering. Maybe we tend to think that anyone that's not of this group is just an unknown sinner out there, right? Maybe we tend to think that, that, that they don't belong to us. But you guys, there are a whole bunch of people just like me who just haven't found their way home yet. Wandering out there. Those who have wandered away, along with those who are about to wander away, if, if they follow the stats, they're hungry for truth. They're so hungry for truth. And this culture is drowning its young people in this secular, humanist, subjective, moralist cesspool. They're drowning in it, and they're begging for a lifeline. Are we going to throw a lifeline they're not going to grab onto it unless they sense some authenticity. They're not going to grab onto that lifeline unless they sense authentic fellowship. God wants us to walk in the light. God wants us to have authentic fellowship. That kind of family of God sort of fellowship I mentioned earlier where Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have existed for all time invited us into that family. And if we walk in the light, we are part of that fellowship. That's the kind of fellowship he says we can have right here, right now, and it is irresistible to those who are searching for truth. New Life Church of God, will you commit to being a people of authentic fellowship? Will you strive to know Jesus? And I'm not talking know Jesus like you know Chris Pratt, but know Jesus like really know him, striving for a life characterized by obedience to him, full of the Holy Spirit and trying to remove all that sin that you've been wrestling with from your life. Will you do that? Will you do all you can to seek out and destroy the things that are going to cause new believers to stumble from our midst? Will you do that? Will you, will you try to stop the exodus of young people by removing things that make us stumble, make young people, immature Christians stumble? Will you do that? Will you, will you take on the great challenge of reaching beyond the walls of this place to go after the lost sheep, to let them know that we care, we know that they're lost, we know that they're searching for truth, we know that they don't have truth. They're stuck in whatever's true for me is not necessarily true for you. Will you go after them and show them, no, here's truth. Let's have authentic fellowship. I hope so, because God desires authentic fellowship for this body of believers, but it requires some action. Authentic fellowship requires knowing Jesus, removing stumbling blocks, and pursuing the lost. Lord God, I just ask that you would embolden us to do what you've called us to do. God, as we pursue the lost, those that have wandered away from us, those that, those that belong back home. God, give us what we need. We know that you will give us what we need if we just step up in faith. God, help us to become 
A church that walks in the light. A church that has authentic fellowship 24-7. May we remove stumbling blocks. May we pursue you in all we do. Help us, Lord Jesus, to look more and more like you. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.